This is where the car horns come from. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay, ready? Yes, I'm ready. My name is Jason Black. Hi, my name is Nick Westray. I'm Jason Black. <laughs> and this is For the Girls Podcast. Like, subscribe, and download. <laughs> <laughs> this is a podcast about queer people and their love of divas. Yeah, this is a um, yeah, this is a stan uh, podcast uh, for for your bosom buddies. This is a podcast all about lady marines and Broadway legends. This is a podcast for friends. Thank you for being ours. This is a podcast for ladies in the moon. Who do we have, Nick? We have David Turner. David, who are we talking about? We're talking today about Beatrice Arthur, a.k.a. B. B. Arthur. Bay. Bay Arthur. Bay Arthur. (laughs) She's like the queen queen bee. You know what I wish I had? What if you started the beehive, but the (laughs) B-E-A hive? Hold on. You know what I wish I had done? Ask me again who we're doing today. Who are we doing today? Bernice Frankel. Yeah. Bernice Frankel is her real name. Let's start with that. Um, David Turner is an amazing actor who always makes me howl with laughter whenever I see him on stage because he's so funny. Because <laughs> he doesn't know his lines. Because <laughs> he doesn't know his lines and he usually stands in this kind of funny, weird way. <laughs> and he's not a man and he's not he a boy. He falls off the stage iconically and every not, time. And not, <laughs> and not yet a woman. One big tumble. <laughs> yeah, he's in this weird in-between space. Um, and he has also liked our podcast and... Um, was really excited. You were excited. To come yeah, to no, yeah. yeah. I, 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 I was basically begging. It was, it was humiliating. Uh, I love your podcast, and I, if there's one person I would love to talk about, it's Bernice Frankel. That's your girl. Oh my god. That's your for the girl. Yeah, she does it for me. Yeah, she's my what Bette Midler is to you. She's my. She's your light. She's your yeah. number one. She is. She's just. I just imprinted on her. She's just everything I love. When did you first? or hear her mellifluous tones. You know, it's interesting. I feel like the story always for my generation, I was born in 1974, is like, oh, well, I would watch the Golden Girls with my grandmother, you know, on Saturday night. And that's not how it happened for me. Uh, My grandmother was um, born two years before B. Arthur. And so I think there's a lot of qualities that they share belonging to that generation and I think I see in B a lot of the things I loved in my grandmother who was mm-hmm. kind of my best friend but she was not a TV watcher so for me it was actually post college when I moved to New York when it was on Lifetime mm-hmm. from 5 to 6 p.m. and then 11 to midnight it was just part of my day that was when so it was really in syndication that I started to appreciate the Golden Girls and then looked for Maud, and it was the longest time before Maud was available at all. It's still hard to get. You, yeah, you, you have can, to buy the DVDs. Yeah, you, there's, I mean, the and you abortion can, episode is on YouTube. Yeah. In fall, which is really But great. it wasn't like yes. TV Land was circulating Maud. Oh, that's fucked up. Isn't it? You can stream season one, but the rest you have to order the DVDs. On what On what streaming service? Oh, God, I can't remember. Something mm. weird. It's on, it it's on Netflix or Hulu. Either one can sponsor us. <laughs> <laughs> Everything, there's, everyone has a streaming thing now, though, so it could be literally on anything. I know. It's probably on the Criterion Collections yeah. channel with yeah. Now and Then yeah. and uh, Palms. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Diane. <laughs> and All Diane's... of the movies we've ever done. <laughs> exactly. very important. Um, so, you, so you did your deep dive into the goal. Would you just rewatch you just they're on all the time yeah i feel like uh, every day of the minute of the week i think when i get old if i get dementia the last thing that's going to be available to me is episodes of the golden girls that's how many times i think i've watched there's those neurological grooves are so well worn that's that's going to be what's left 
Mm-hmm. It's like that's my wall E. When the rest of David Turner is stripped away, <laughs> it's just going to be pieces. Just of quotes B. from the Golden Girls. Yeah. Just quips what, and quotes. What uh, favorite episode? Rusty Anchor. What is Rusty Anchor? Give it to us. Give oh, us the plot synopsis. Uh, well, uh, B is down in the dumps as usual. You know, can't get a date, and Blanche convinces her to go to her hangout, which is the Rusty Anchor. And B goes, and she's uncomfortable, you know, she's awkward at conversation, and then there's a pianist there, and she sort of starts humming, and he goes, hey, you've got a nice voice, why don't you sing something? No, I I really could, come on, no, I really, um, what'll I do? D flat is good for me, you know, (laughs) and suddenly she blooms, and she sings what'll I do, and heads start to turn, and Blanche gets jealous, and that sets the plot. In motion. I don't think so. You sing, don't you? A little. <laughs> Great. Um, how about some Irving Berlin? Blue skies, always. Uh, maybe, maybe some other time. What'll I do? D flat is good for me. <laughs> What'll I do if you mm-hmm. away and I? What'll I do? Very nice. What'll I do when I am wondering who is kissing you? What'll I do? You're very good, though. What'll I do with just a photograph to tell my troubles to? When I'm alone with only dreams of you that won't come true, what'll I do? What'll I do with just a photograph to tell my When I'm alone with only dreams of Yeah, you. she can act a song. She really can. That and it's a great song. So uh, remember the letter I showed you that I wrote? I wrote B. Arthur and she And it was about this. That's, yeah, that's, so she wrote, I wrote back, I wrote her and I said, um, you know, I, in 1999, um, so I must have been about three years old. Uh, I wrote her, and she I just... said your birth year. Yeah, I know, I know. You're no, fucked. It's too late to be discreet. You're fucked. You're not going to get any uh, dates. This is for old queens only. You, you, said, you said your birth year, and I started trying to think about it, and I was like, honey, I can't do math. So I, <laughs> all right, well, so I think a lot me. of the kids can't either. I yeah, mean, that's all right. Um, so I wrote her, and I... I mean, first of all, I went on about her comedy, and just how what she does really really does it for me, you know? Her economy and her relaxation. She's such a great comedian. How did you know where to send it? I think I found it online. You found her whatever address? Yeah, like, they, it was her home address. Oh, really? Uh-huh. Because you're speaking, you know, they, remember celebrities have like fan... Sure. Legally addresses. That yeah, it was could, a like, whole cottage yeah. industry. Yeah, whole yeah. thing that you could like write into, and maybe they would get it, or maybe they wouldn't. You know, back in the back e- in the old fan days. Yeah, anyways. totally. I love that you could just 
send it right there to her. But also in the 90s when they were figuring out that I remember that transition between like the phone book and like finding shit on the internet. <laughs> they kind of just threw everything up online and you could find random people's addresses and phone numbers. Yeah, it was, it nice. was, it was a little more Wild West. Yeah. Did yeah. you handwrite it? Of course. Yeah. Oh, of course. Beautiful. My my waspy family, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so she wrote back, I don't have time to, I love this opening, oh, really? I don't have time to respond to all of my fan mail. But every so often I receive a note that does make me want to respond, and yours was one of them. Now, I know I've made a lot of people laugh over the years, but to learn I was responsible for introducing someone to Irving Berlin... Well, now that makes it all the more worthwhile. I wish you every happiness, affectionately, B. Arthur. What? He does not have that in front of him. He has that memorized. (laughs) Of course. What was... Because you were not expecting that. I mean, no. You just were like, I just need to tell her I love her. Yeah. You know, that feeling of connection. Right. Yeah. And so were you just like shaking... Oh, I think I just, I mean, I think I just Major put on, like, wh- white gloves, you know, that, like, people who are in a handbell choir wear, mm-hmm. and then I folded it back up, and I put it, and thank God I've managed to hold on to it for 20 years. You That's can't okay. see this, uh, you listeners at home, but everyone got goosebumps. Everyone, huge goosebumps all over our arms. <laughs> we'll uh, take a picture of them and post them on our Instagram. You can follow us there at For the Girls Podcast. Um, okay, so Beatrice Frankel. Take Bernice. Us, Bernice. Bernice. Oh my gosh, so sorry. Bernice. Mm-hmm. How did it go from Bernice to B? Well, uh, she was born in New York City and lived in New York City until, uh, I think until she was 11, and uh, then her family was in a bad way financially. The Depression took hold, and they had some kind of business opportunity on the eastern shore of Maryland. So they moved to this town called Cambridge, Maryland. And her parents owned uh, a women's clothing shop, I think. And it turns out Burnus, B-U-R-N-I-C-E, was a very common boy's name. And she hated it. She hated it from the moment she heard it. She hated it. So she asked people to call her B as in the letter B, just because that was what it started with. But she hated Bernice immediately because there were so many boys called Bernice. Oh, my gosh. Bernice. Yeah. Mm, that, went out of, that went out of style, huh? <laughs> I know. You don't, you don't got much more. I don't, I don't have hey, many Bernices walking around anymore. <laughs> I hope, like, Gwyneth or, like, Amelia Clark or some famous blonde woman names their kid Bernice and I mean, it just that's comes so, back like but the, yeah, but the, it will, and that's so, I mean, It doesn't have the same ring as Apple. But I've no, no, well, Apple, I love apples. That's such a good name. Orange and apple. Um, they're not called orange and apple. <laughs> no, but I just throw that in there. Wouldn't that be lovely? Just citrus in general. But old names are so evocative. Back for real. That's like a, antique names are really. Like what? I, I, you know, like. Everything old is new again. Yeah. I, um, just, um, I don't know. We could look up the baby, look up the baby names for 2019, but like, yeah, like, do, like, um, Gladys. Gladys. Do you know you can go on the Social Security website and enter any name and it will show you how popular it has been? Do they have like a chart? Do they have an app? Yeah. Uh, It's on their website. Yeah. It's great. You can see like how common your name has been since only since the inception of Social Security. Nick is crazy common. I'm still yeah, sad. I'm crazy about telling people Jason isn't. I, I just had this conversation already with once. me. Yeah, with you. <laughs> with I was like, Jason's not that episode. common. <laughs> I'm going to keep saying that. And all of my friends think I'm fucking crazy. You for are fucking crazy. Believing that. You are fucking crazy. Well, I have a brother named John, so I'm like, well, I'm not as common as fucking John. Yeah. 
Yeah. But B also, uh, like us, went to boarding school for her last two years of high school. Am That's I correct? right. Do you know why that happened? No, why? Tell us. She got sick. She got really sick. She had this weird disorder. I think it's called coagulopathy. Um, and it's. I think the symptoms are basically like those of hemophilia. Her blood wouldn't clot. Oh, yeah, that's right. I don't... Here's the thing. Here's the missing piece. I don't know why boarding school cures <laughs> coagulopathy, but it might be one of those old-fashioned things like, oh, you know, you have pneumonia, you need to go to Arizona. I, I mean, I don't know... Where was the boarding school? Pennsylvania? Yes. I actually think it was called Littitz. It makes me want to say Latitz, but I don't. I don't, unfortunately <laughs> that think it's called Latitz. Yeah, the Bay and Latitz. Must be. It must be French. <laughs> hey, Gwyneth or Amelia Clark or something. Uh, name your next kid Latitz. Yeah, please. Oregon Orange. Latitz <laughs> Apple. Orange Latitz and Bernays. 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 How many times I have to tell you? Um, and so, is that where she like found drama? Uh, according to her. It was earlier than that. It's the age-old story. This is, you know, I know we'll get to, like, why the gays? Why be? Why the gays? No, we won't. <laughs> no, we started skipping that. First yeah, we of don't all, do that part anymore. I don't know who told you that I was gay, but I do not. My wife is going to be furious. Um, <laughs> anyway. Honey, I was listening to For the Girls podcast and you were on it. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, because this podcast is for wives and moms. <laughs> so you were disinterested. Uh, uh, not... because you said she was hot. But I will say this. Is, I, I think it's the classic uh, misfit thing that people mm. with a great sense of humor so often go through. By the time she was 12, she was about only a half inch shorter than I am. So I think she was five, nine and a half by the time she was 12. And uh, she became the class clown. I mean, they were the only Jewish family within miles in Cambridge, Maryland. And they had this giant daughter with a deep voice. And she, she says she, that's when she realized she could do a great Mae West impression. And that was sort of what drew the world toward her. And she kind of realized that she wanted to be in showbiz. She didn't take herself seriously for a long time, but I think that was the first little little bug. Mm. And then she ended up at the New School for Social Research with Erwin Piscotter. And were she and Elaine Stritch there at the same time? I don't know the answer to that. I, I, in my Let's mind, keep it the fantasy alive. In my mind, they are because they're the same. They're, I think Elaine's a little bit older. Yeah. But Elaine was there with Brando. And it's such a huge part of her at Liberty Show talking about being at the New School for Social Research. I like to think that they were like doing scenes from Top Girls together. (laughs) (laughs) That was written before the 1940s, right? I don't. I don't. Yeah. I mean, what's I the joke lesbian I'm, one? Stop kiss. No, the hour something out. The children's hour. Children's hour. Oh, doing, yeah. You're straight up doing no. the children's hour. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that is such. A, that is so fucking fun to see. Like like sophomores in high school do the children's hour. Things <laughs> changed. Everyone in acting school, please drop out. It's a terrible profession. Don't do it. Quit your scene study class now. That's I'm discouraging right. everybody. Or do what B did and marry one of your classmates. Who did she marry? Well, first she married Robert Allen Arthur, which is where she got the name. Husband number one. Husband number one. Um, they were only married for three years. And then the year she split up with him, she she married Gene Sachs. That's right. She was married to Gene Sachs. Who was Sachs. also in that class. Oh. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit? Can we remind me a little bit more about Gene Sachs' career? Yeah, sure. He was uh, mostly a director. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And... Uh, he did a lot of Broadway shows, most notably, of course, Mame. Right. And 
but his muse, I think, was really New York. And when B. Arthur had her association with Norman Lear and finally was wooed out to L.A., mm. kicking and screaming, really, at first, mm. uh, that was the beginning of the end for their marriage because he, especially after Mame flopped, the movie of Mame yeah. flopped. Uh, oh, I guess I, I shouldn't talk about flops yet, but... <laughs> I you saved, saved that for flops and bops. For flops and bops. Well, to... I don't know. I remember I bought that movie on VHS because I was mm-hmm. a Lucille Ball fan, and I remember just being like, "What the fuck?" I remember the day you got it. Yeah, we, we were went like, to gra- your grandma's house, and we watched it in the basement. Like we were six too young to know that, we, that it wasn't good, though. I no, we, we were in love. We were in love really? But... Yeah, but oh, we didn't yeah. know any other version. We were like seven years old. Yeah, sure. And no. we didn't know that Angela Lansbury got. Full thoughts <gasps> on it, but oh, I know they Carol Channing her ass. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they really, really did. Devastating. Was, yeah, that was real weird. I mean, well, I guess it except was for the fact that Lucy. Marilyn Monroe had a hit with Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, and Lucy did not have a hit with Mame. Right? No, she sure didn't. That like sunk. That sunk her Lucy ship. I feel like Mame e- was the thing that really e- sunk her. Yeah. So funny. We've been talking about that Lucy so much. I mean, that Mame so much. We talked about it. We did a Patty Lapone episode the other day, and Ooh, then can't wait. We talked about it, and we also talk about in the Madeline Kahn episode which everyone listening to this you can go back and download the Madeline Kahn episode it's a few episodes back and then you can rate and review the podcast thank you very much um, but I, I, I did a I did be, have you seen B. Arthur's intimate portraits from oh, like 2002 uh, yeah of right. course she talks yeah. about she talks about that going to LA kind of was right the other thing that he just his, his love was theater yeah and she was becoming a big star which I think was kind of and he wasn't you know he wasn't really kind of rising up with her so i think there was some of that too yeah uh, i think and i i think gender plays a big a big part in that relationship failing i think for a, i think for a man especially in that generation when the when his wife starts to become a superstar and his career is flagging a little bit i think it takes a hell of a man to just be happy for her and especially kind of back stick in with that it. Day, right? That's what that's what I mean. Yeah, it's hard today, you know. Yeah, I'm, you know, it's they're really, fragile. I, fucking. That's egos. why my wife is so mad that I'm here doing yeah. this. Oh, sweet, poor sweet Bonnie. Bird. It's okay. Yeah. Thank you for listening to the She's podcast. She's such every a dear. Week. You put up with so much. She's so <laughs> she don't know the half of it. <laughs> God bless her. She's really she's, she's really more man than you are. <laughs> um. It was always blows my mind to remember that Estelle Getty was the youngest one. Yeah, well, actually, I don't think she was younger than Rue. Oh, was she not? She was younger than Betty White and uh, B. Arthur, I believe. Oh, wow. I believe. So Estelle Getty played Sophia for yeah. all of you. We have a lot of young fans who can't keep the names of these ladies straight. Okay, well, we'll help. <laughs> yeah, but you, I mean, I, the Golden Girl shelf life is just always shocking me. I was just telling Nick, like, I don't... There's not any one demographic that I don't know that does not hold the Golden Girls as like a beloved artifact. Still, like I still feel like people, it's like it just keeps shining probably because it's like always on and you can always catch it and it just emits this feeling in so many people. I think they were very restrained about going to the topical humor well and Mm. that paid major dividends. You know, once in a while they have a joke like... Uh, no, Rose, you know, she's upset because they keep changing the taste of Coke. And you're like, well, okay, but, but that's very rare. But it's still that's funny because right, of her delivery. That's, that's, why, that's why it kind of transcends time. Yeah. You can kind of always watch it. And 
Right. Because old ladies, they have that older gay... ladies in Florida always like are kind of stuck in time too. Do you remember this? They had the the, the, the first. The pilot, right? There was the gay housekeeper. Yeah, Coco. Coco. Mm-hmm. Did you know that? Coco is the gay housekeeper. Yeah. And they also have an iconic lesbian episode where a woman who's a friend of Dorothy's comes and falls in love with Rose. Correct. Yeah, Jean. Jean. Mm-hmm. It's one of the best. I think it's one of Jean the best. Oh, it's, 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 all it's wonderful. It's such a beautiful yeah. episode. Is that, and is that Lois Nettleton, I think, is her name? She's wonderful. Jean thinks she's in love with Rose. Come on, it's not funny. <laughs> the hell it's not. Jean in love with little Miss Muppet. Come on. <laughs> what is going on? Nothing. Nothing. Oh, come on now. I heard you laughing. What's so funny? For starters, Jean is a lesbian. <laughs> What's funny about that? You aren't surprised? Of course not. I mean, I've never known any personally, but... Isn't Danny Thomas one? <laughs> Not Lebanese, Blanche. <laughs> Lesbian. Lesbian. The guest spots on the Golden Girls, too. The oh, people who would come through. So great. George Clooney's on it. That yeah, yeah, he and Jerry Orbach play uh, cops. They're doing a stakeout because there are diamond thieves next door. <laughs> of course there <laughs> so are. So great. Because of course there are. Yeah. Uh, diamond thieving. <laughs> I'm not like Wait, a thief hold for on. I could be wrong. Hold on. I don't think it's Jerry Orbach. I think I, t- I am bad with faces and I think I turned it into Jerry Orbach. I don't want cards and letters, please, about how I got that wrong. <laughs> Battle Angels Calm Town, leave <laughs> our guests alone. There are people that, I mean, they people. People memorize these episodes. Alexis Michelle is like yes, that. I have a couple. Of, I know a couple of people who just like know. Yeah. All my yeah, our friend Alexis Michelle, um, who's a fabulous drag queen, who did our Liza Minnelli episode. She, when I'm ever I'm over at her house and we just want to like go and like smoke a little bowl and like order some food and she wants to stone some tights and we just want to hang out. <laughs> it's just Golden Girls. We'll watch like eight episodes or Abfab. I once. Who's more stoned, the tights or you? <laughs> 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 that, that, that was a Golden Girls <laughs> one right there. Well, that's why I get the big box. <laughs> um, I once um, uh, Phyllis. I was in like I was like I was like living in a house full of boys in college, and um, I fell asleep with w- while watching the, a Golden Girls DVD, mm-hmm. and it just went back to the credit or just went back to the like the main menu and where it was just like the orchestration of the theme song, and I guess that played on a loop for like five hours <laughs> oh until God. like one of my roommates was like, "Stop it!" <laughs> Stop had completely broken down, like I completely broken him down by this just like You can sleep looping. through some shit though. Yeah, oh yeah. Okay, but we're on the Golden Girls and we've completely skipped over her first iconic series, which is Maud, which mm-hmm. started as a spinoff from All in the Family. Mm-hmm. Have you seen that episode of All in the Family with her? Yeah, I think she did two actually, two episodes of All in the Family. Right.
But uh, the way she tells it, the next day, CBS. Right. First of all, I love also, it, this also is so of the time, get that girl her own series. <laughs> yes, like exactly, she was right? 50 years old. <laughs> get that girl. And it was CBS, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's so funny. Just a side note to a terrible man. I was, when the, all the Les Moonves shit happened. Yeah. I guess it was Les Moonves who was single-handedly responsible for the cancellation of Murder, She Wrote. And he was like, we're done. He, he The quote was, we're done with old ladies at CBS. And he got rid of, I think, not only Murder, I guess Shiro, I'm out. But also The Golden Palace, the spinoff of Golden Girls. Well, that deserved off. to go. Yeah. I feel like this is like the moment where my eyes turn red and I'm able to have like laser beams that shoot <laughs> shoot out of my head. And fi- the fire starts coming up on the curtains and I rise above and like release my full satanic powers because... <laughs> Against Lois Yes. Yes, I, I really feel it. So it's what so, the fuck? Whoever was running CBS who said, get that girl her own series, that... I want to know who that gay man was who yeah. used to run CBS because I was on point in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Yeah. Yeah, obviously. Um, I think Norman Lear, he he really wanted to see Archie get his comeuppance. Mm-hmm. And uh, All in the Family was based on a British show. I, th- I can't remember if it was Till Death Do Us Part or Till Death Us Do Part. I can't remember if, which phrasing they used. But there was a cousin Maud on that. And so uh, he must have gotten the idea because th- they bought the rights to All in the Family to, to do that in America. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but the whole thing was just a vehicle to finally see someone stand up to Archie. Right. Yeah, and I think that uh, Norman Lear wanted a little bit of wish fulfillment just to see his mm-hmm. own his own values and his own principles. You know, he started this great nonprofit called People for the American Way, which I love and support, mm-hmm. um, which is, I think, a great antidote to so much of what we're dealing with now about right. just what values this country can and should stand for. And uh, I think he wanted to give, he wanted the character to give voice to those values. And she was so unflappable. Whereas Archie was surrounded by the three most flappable people on earth in um, Edith and Meathead and Gloria, mm-hmm. who were always like, so he could just rile them up so easily, you know, or knock them off balance. Nothing can knock Maud or B. Arthur off balance. Yeah. What was it like watching the, you know, knowing her kind of as this ham in the Golden Girls and then, and kind of, you know, getting that in you and then going back to Maud? It's interesting. I, I mean,. Be, uh, let's go to B's own words. She said, look, I'm five, nine and a half in my stocking feet. I have a very deep voice and a way with a line. No one's going to ask me to play Juliet. I think it's a complete waste of time. We're uh, actors who worry about typecasting. I mean, the the characters that she played, the battle axes, the acerbic wit, always with the perfect line, it apparently could, just could not be farther from her actual personality. She right, was, because she's iconically like a withdrawn, she's a, quiet person. A, a shy, very reserved. I feel like that's what everyone will, like in the end says about her. Yeah. Like, like really, like you don't really quite know her because she's actually just very private. Right. Which but is it, so interesting is you think she's just this. How could she not be what she seems like? And that's one of the things um, I admire about her is she, or you know, long before people were talking about branding, she got what she was. She got what she seemed like to other people. And she knew that trying to fight that was a fool's errand. So she just took that thing 
and heightened it and made cornered the market, you know. Right. And like zoomed in on it. Yeah. And through the specificity if of I'm that this character, that type, it then becomes universal by making it giving that person Maud or Dorothy mm-hmm. as many facets as humanly possible. Yeah. It's I was talking a lot with someone recently about being an extroverted introvert. Which, like, I read this article, someone posted this article about that, and I read it, and I was like, oh, that's me, actually. Which, lots of people, like, roll their eyes at extroverted introverts when they say that. I, 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 I'm doing it. I was just, like, trying not to look at you. I was like, everyone yeah, fucking right. says that. But it's this thing of, like, yeah, everyone fucking says that. But it is how I feel, and I think that B. Arthur has that, and I think Bette has that. I win, I mentioned her first, because Bette always talks about how she created the Divine Miss M mm-hmm. as this, it's a character. And Mm. she really feels most at home, most comfortable, like, at home in her garden or reading a book. Like, she really wants to be very insular with her family, with her life. And not, you know, the Divine Miss M is a creation that helps her make money and sell songs and be artistic. And exercise a a part of her. Right. Yeah, I guess I I was rolling my eyes, but I I am that. Mm -hmm. You know I am that. Yeah. I go out and I'm a clown and I put on the party, Mm -hmm. you know. The, this thing and, Mr. Ha Ha yeah Mr. Ha Ha kind of Mr. like gonna tell you a real real fun story and life of the party but actually like I need to really withdraw a lot mm-hmm. like and then just like be alone and quiet actually it's some really my I always say like I just love when I'm with myself because I'm the smartest person in the room <laughs> um, <laughs> and all so of true. my ideas are so great and I'm constantly agreeing with myself yeah. you know so yeah there is there is that I think I am there is a duality. Hey, I remember reading that if, to figure out if you're an extrovert or an introvert, answer the question, what do you do to recharge your batteries? Right. And mine is absolutely being alone. Like, yeah. I love being alone. If yeah, I find too. out, like, I get a job, like, especially if I get to, like, travel somewhere, and, like, I know I'm going to be filming somewhere else, and I know I'm, like, I'm going to get to live in a hotel room alone for mm, two weeks. Heaven. I'm, like, this is heaven Yeah. Mm. Like, t- turn off the Wi-Fi, leave me alone. It's such. It actually is such an adventure. There's something so thrillingly oh. adventurous about it. It feels indulgent. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love being alone. Yeah. <laughs> well, we can wrap this up. <laughs> <laughs> Could you please leave both of you? So thank you, everyone. We're all now... Let's all go to stick corners of this apartment. And then... <laughs> just sit by yourself. Yeah. <laughs> no, because my batteries are charged and I'm podcasting right now. I'm fulfilling my duty as an American to have a podcast. Um... So when our favorite extroverted introvert, B. Arthur, got that call from CBS, it was like, we're giving you a show, honey. What, what was that like for her? What, she was living in New York at the time. And primarily doing theater. Uh, yeah. I mean, starting in 1964, she, she did Fiddler for a year. And she, according to her, she only stayed with it for a year. We know from, you know, Maude and the Golden Girls, this is a woman who knows when to get out Mm -hmm. when something is at its peak Mm -hmm. she's deliciously unsentimental about her her work one of the things i love when other people are grasping she's saying yeah i think we've done this enough i think we've explored every facet of this i think we should end it while it's at its peak i mean that is very rare for an actor i think not to not to be grasping in that way uh but she stayed in fiddler for a year because uh gene sachs had hepatitis and couldn't work and so she was a breadwinner. That's a, it was that, that's a production Bet got in, right? Yeah, but so Bet was yeah. in, it started in '66. Yeah, isn't that cool? I know because when I first read that, I was like, "Holy fuck, she was in Fiddler with Bet." They were in a show, but, then, but I, I don't think they I crossed that, paths. And I was like, "There's no way." Because Mame was in '66. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Angela Lansbury is, is like still is like she's one. Of, I was very close with B. 
Oh right? yeah, no, they were right? they were besties. Yeah. yeah, they're very good friends. So they, isn't that isn't that just? I mean, come on, someone write a play about that. But what a fantasy! Wasn't B trying to get the part of name? Oh too? yeah, and according to Angela, never really got over it. Really? Well, oh, her yeah. husband was directing. Yeah, and they oh. but they wanted a star. Yeah. Well, and I mean to lose a star gig on Broadway to Angela Lansbury, the greatest Broadway star of all time, is like. That's, I mean, also, Vera is such a good role. Come well, on, that's I want to play. That's Vera. the thing. I mean, I agree, but it, and I keep asking myself, what actor would would pass up Vera Charles? I mean, it's it's a great role, but if you remember that she hadn't yet been Maud or Dorothy, right. she may not yet have really had an idea that that was the quality that was going to take her all the way. Mm. Right. So she she wanted to, you know, in her own words, she wanted to be the one in the white dress, not the black dress. That's yes. how she that, saw that, herself. Yes. yes. And so funny. I want to be in that black dress. Isn't that honey. funny? Yeah. I want to be on that moon, honey. <laughs> God, that moon is bright. Don't you want a little cut out moon, a little cut out paper, smiling moon? Mm. 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 Did, so how many years <laughs> was she in Maine? That's a good question. I don't know. Uh, well, well, long enough for her for them both to win their Tonys. Yep. Well, here's a good little uh, mnemonic device if you want to remember her award journey I in do. life. Yes, I do. I need a I device. Love <laughs> every I love time award. I'm sitting on the train, I'm like, what is my it's device? It's very easy with B. Yeah. It's very easy. It's okay. just like sunspots. They're on an 11-year cycle. 66, 77, wow. and 88. Wow. She won the Tony in 66, the Emmy for Maude in 77, the Emmy for uh, Golden Girls in 88. Wow. So there Was you she go. the... Wait, did Betty win? Betty, Betty won, won first. first. Oh, Okay. <laughs> That did not go over in well. Stereo. Yeah. <laughs> Who do you think B was just like tossing her china around the room? Oh, yeah. I read Betty White's autobiography. She said day one, season two was just like, oh, well, like chili on the chili. Set. Look, chili she didn't like set. Betty White. B. Well, look, I don't want to speak for, I mean, everything I've said so far, sure. I've read an interview or seen B. Arthur say it herself. Speak for her now. She's dead. She can't do anything to you. I thought what Betty White did was pretty cruel and pretty classless. To wait until someone's dead. It was like Bill Barr. You know what the Attorney General did with the Mueller report? Just, it comes out, you give it a little spin, and now that's what that's what the public thinks. So Betty White waits until B. Arthur dies and has this great line, clearly very prepared, to frame the whole thing, which is, B was not that fond of me, but yeah, I Yeah, well, loved... I know. I've heard that. I don't know. What is I don't know what I ever did. I don't <laughs> know, but she was not that thrilled with me. But I loved Bea, and I admired her, and I just... And I can't believe I'm the only one left. Mm. When she did that, I thought... <sighs> I don't know. That struck me as... When someone's not there to defend themselves, I just thought... I saw a little crack in, in Betty White's character, and I really like her, but I thought... I don't know. I, I thought that that was tough. And, like, I haven't heard this, just some insider thing, but, like, Betty White's a full fucking bitch, is what they say on the- You want to know what girl we're not for? <laughs> Betty White. Okay, wait, Come no. We're bitch. fucking full kidding. <laughs> we're full fucking kidding. We love Betty White. We yeah. love Betty White. I mean, yes, that's the thing. I mean, I, we don't know any of these but people, I, but... Yeah, I would... Uh, when someone's things- dead, I don't think it's nice to... Sure. Say, and what's you know. what's what is what are you going to get out of it? What do you you know like what's the point? Anyway, well, like, yeah, but that's the thing. She's always on the make. That's why she's had a career that's you know seventy mm-hmm. years long. She's she's smart about the my, public. From my understanding, not from Betty White, but from other things I've read, B's 
thing with Betty White, and this could be completely wrong, was that she was so on the make. She was such a yeah. kind of a creature of Hollywood. Exactly. Yeah. I she think. went for the laugh. She played to the audience. She showed a little leg. Yeah. Yeah. She was a kind of a vaudevillian in yeah. that way. She was, and she was a real comic, and B was a real actress. I mean, they. I mean, that's the thing. Is like they're both brilliant. They're just very mm-hmm. different people. Yeah. And the energy all just works. I mean, that's it, what makes it. That free soul is what makes it work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know. But but these the the realism that B brings. I know that you said like the ham of the Golden Girls, but she also is so fucking real on that show and on Maud. Oh, she yeah. breaks your heart. She, there's a, some really really amazing tightrope walking that she does on those shows. That's like laugh laugh laugh, and then whoo, she twists it just a little bit. She kind of drops the mask, mm-hmm. you know, very strategically to kind of uh, you know. Make break you, your heart. Break your heart. Break your heart. Make you make you in those feelings for her. And yeah, if I had one, I mean, the the great thing I think about her is anytime she was interviewed about it, all she would say is the writing. That's all she ever said about Maud or the Golden Girls. The writing. I mean, mm. here was a woman who completely understood that she wasn't funny. It was. Mm-hmm. You know, she just completely gave all the credit to the writing and to the script, and and did her best to to just get out of the way. She said her inspiration. She said Sid Caesar taught her the outrageous. Lee Strasberg told her or taught her reality. And Lottie Lenya taught her economy. Oh. She said those were her three inspirations. Wow. And I think you see that. Economy is such a great word for her. Isn't it? She never uses an ounce of energy that she doesn't need to. Exactly. Ever. Well, not when you have those eyebrows. <laughs> <laughs> too much. You just got to raise them here and there, and you know exactly what's going on. Do you? Can you picture when? Uh, I think it's Blanche and Sophia and B are on the couch, and Sophia's come back from the shoe store, and she has a balloon. Sophia, there's something I don't understand. Now you're always a bit ornery, unpleasant, impolite, even downright mean. That's part of your charm. Thank you, you bed hopping relic. <laughs> I'm trying to make is your behavior in this shoe thing is extreme even for you what is going on so B's not doing anything she's not holding a balloon and she's not popping the balloon and she doesn't move an atom her stillness is like a level above ordinary still I swear to god she has like uh, just on a molecular level of restraint and stillness, and that's to get out of the way of someone else's joke. Right. And that, to me, is like the highest form of comedy. Because she wanted the ship to sail. Yeah. You know, she wanted to be, and it was a team. It was a real team on that show, and you Mm -hmm. had to, ugh. The teamwork between the four of them is so extraordinary. Delicious. I have a hot take. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Alert, alert. Okay, everyone watch hey. Pause. Everyone, press, I want you to press pause because I don't want. No, everyone who's listening, you be stop, sure you're fucking sitting down. You stop the recording. You stop the recording and let me just prattle on and then press play again. Um, <laughs> you fucker. Um, <laughs> in my, um, 
the Golden Girls were the OG Sex in the City. Absolutely. And especially with that game, I hate, which I hate. I've said it so many times. I fucking hate when everyone's like, I'm Samantha, I'm Carrie. Mostly because I'm none of them. It's um, such a Miranda thing to say. <laughs> I hate, 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 hate. But I remember everyone playing that game with the Golden Girls. But like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm the Rue of the Bunch. Yeah. You know, right. yeah. Like, I definitely always feel like a Dorothy. You're a Dorothy? Yeah, you're, you're a yeah, Dorothy. I'm a hardcore Dorothy. You're a hardcore Dorothy. Hardcore voice of reason. I'm obviously fucking Betty White because like I'm flighty and Billy is a full Betty White. Yeah, <laughs> my boyfriend is oh. a full ass Betty oh. White. I'm a pretty yeah. I mean, you I'm have a, a little Blanche to you too. Uh, yeah, that's because you're a whore. Yeah, that's nice. <laughs> every three years, well, not really. I mean, Blanche is a full whore like every half hour. She's just like full whore train. Which she, um, she was so sex positive. It was like. One of the first really sex-positive characters on TV. Totally. And, like, that fun kind of... They all were. uh, Yeah, they Mm -hmm. all were. They all were dating. Yeah. They were just dating up that Florida storm. Mm -hmm. Um, They love to fuck. (laughs) (laughs) And they bought condoms to show that it was the socially responsible thing to do. Absolutely. Do you remember that episode? Oh, in the pharmacy? Yeah. They all get up the nerve to get some condoms, and then it's a price check. Uh, Joe, I need a price check on some condoms. These three ladies here want a couple of boxes of the King George prophylactics. Lamb skins are the ultra-sensitive. Two of them have the lamb skins, and the blonde has the ultra-sensitive in black. Look at all these people staring at us. Oh, this is humiliating. I've never been so embarrassed in my life. All right, just what in hell are all of you staring at? <laughs> Haven't you ever seen three vibrant, healthy, sexually active women before? Now, we are embarking on a little weekend cruise with some longtime gentleman friends, and if we decide to be intimate, then we'll be prepared. We are not embarrassed. We're not uncomfortable. We are not humiliated. We're going to walk out of here today with our heads held high, secure in the knowledge that what we have done is morally and socially responsible. Isn't that right, girl? I have no idea who this woman is. I bought these for my brother. (laughs) But don't you think it's sort of Jungian, like they're all pieces of us? Mm-hmm. And that all is exists in us. And what part of the enjoyment of watching it is is these pieces of ourselves kind of fighting for primacy? You know. Well, we just watched the Share Show, so we know everything about that. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think it was just magic that we got that we got the Golden Girls? Like, do you think it was just the stars were aligned and the time was right and? somehow America was ready to welcome in a show about um, not even middle-aged women. They were older than that. That's a really good question. Uh, I mean, I don't know if I can do much more than be grateful that it happened, but I'm more inclined to credit a lot of hard work on the part of the people who, on part of Susan Harris and people who who fought, especially for B, because she did not. I mean, kicking and screaming, basically. She, and she was one of the last cast. She was the last. And they wrote the character, right? They, they said, uh, like, uh, they said it be Arthur character. Yeah, type, yeah. Type I think Susan Harris definitely had her in mind. Susan Harris wrote the abortion two-parter in, for Maud. 
Right. So she certainly knew B. Arthur's voice. I'm just going to drop in on that yeah. and give a little footnote. The, Maud, on B. Arthur's first series, Maud, which we were talking about, which is the spinoff of All in the Family, there's a two-part episode where Maud, B. Arthur's character, gets pregnant. It'd be like a you know a fairly late in life pregnancy. Yeah, it was a menopausal. I think she was forty. The character was forty seven. Yeah, and she uh, and her husband and her husband grapple with the decision of whether or not to have an abortion. Oh, Walter, it's so silly. It's really dumb. I mean, it's it's not just that I'm scared. It's like deep down inside me, there's a teeny part of me that feels guilty for even thinking about it. Well, I'll tell you this, Maud. Whatever you decide is going to be all right with me. Thank you, Walter. I'll tell you something else, too. To make sure this doesn't happen again, <laughs> I'm going to have that vasectomy. You really mean that, Walter? Why not? It's a simple operation. Like going to the dentist. <laughs> <laughs> Well, maybe I ought to think about it. <laughs> and you, Mort? I don't know. I don't know. I guess I'll just have to think about it, too. Sweetheart. Whatever you decide. Walter, don't pat me there. <laughs> That's what started this whole thing. And it was two episodes long, and there were lots of affiliates across our amazingly um, weird and conservative country who would not play it. But when it aired, it got 65 million viewers. Like, you guys, that's fucking more than Game of Thrones got. Like, it's that's a lot. And I, granted, there were only four stations back then. Well, but yeah, but also think how many Americans there were. I mean, that's 65 million out of, what, 150 million? I mean, how many? How big was the country then? It, it's yeah. a huge fraction. Yeah, it was so many people watch. I mean, it's kind of crazy because you even think of, because drawing the line back to I Love Lucy, remember, they wouldn't even show... Them sleep in bed together. Yeah, or... Yeah. or and they like, had to say expecting instead of pregnant. Mm-hmm. And then drawing the line back to Maud, um, Rue was on Maud, and then it was... Yes, yeah, she played uh, Vivian, Maud's sort of airheaded best friend. And, and it that was, was her that got her on... That's right. Yeah. It, the, uh, B's initial objection to doing Golden Girls, because Rue called her and said, now, B, why are you passing up the best script that's ever going to come across your desk? And apparently B told her, Rue... I have no interest in doing Maud and Vivian meet Sue Ann Nivens. <laughs> and Rue says, now, B, you've got it all wrong. I'm playing the vamp. Betty's playing the airhead. And, and B says, well, now that's interesting. Mm. And that was really what oh. sold her on the whole. Right, because Sue Ann Nivens, who is Betty White's character from Mary Tyler Moore, mm-hmm. for all of our legendary... Friendly Neighborhood Nymphomaniac. Right, she was she was the nympho, mm-hmm. and Georgia Engel was the airhead. Mm-hmm. Who was a very dear friend of mine who we just lost recently. Oh. Um, I've already talked about that in another episode, but anyway. That's well, okay, when someone dies... Ouija board, mm-hmm. huh? Rest in power, Georgia. Oh my gosh, Georgia would not fuck with a Ouija board. She was a mad Christian scientist. Like, she was a serious Christian. She wouldn't be very... You don't think she would come if we call her and me down... Absolutely. Not. from the diva heavens <laughs> no georgia is a mad christian like 
yeah, she's probably upset that I'm even talking about her on this podcast, but I love her so much I can't stop myself. I hope she forgives me. Mm. Um, she's great. She's a wonderful. She was a wonderful actor. Wasn't she a delight? Mm. Uh, you know what? You were you were speaking earlier, Jason, about how like B has a super real sensitive side, and my complaint about actually more Golden Girls than Maude is that they didn't ask that of her a Enough. lot, and that's not her fault. They just saw where their bread was buttered and kept kind of heightening that. Mm-hmm. And if, if there are any listeners who aren't familiar with Maud or they want to get the DVDs, there is an episode in season four, I think it's called Maud Bears Her Soul. And it is so extraordinary. It's back when there was like event television. It is the usual sitcom format for that time, 24 minutes and two acts. And it's a monologue. She's the only character in the entire episode. What? She goes to see a shrink, and the shrink never talks. It's just, it's a therapy session. And that's the whole episode? It's the whole episode, and she is incredible. Like, waterworks, and just this incredible, real... It just breaks down the character of Maude, the acerbic thing. She questions why she does it. She, It gets so real in a way that sitcom characters had never before had dimension. She's talking about her parents, why she is the way she is, what she thinks about her father. And she, and she, she's incredible. I mean, she's incredible in that episode. Hmm. That's If I could make your listeners watch or listen to one B. Arthur thing, that would be it. It's such a difference now with sitcoms. So much of the sourcing of comedy television these days comes from the improv world mm-hmm, yeah. and no longer from the theater world. Yeah. And it's so focused on like, can you make stuff up? Can you do an impression? Can you do a funny thing? Do you have like a fun, like not to, and not to diminish what people in improv comedy do because it's extraordinary. Yeah. But I do think that there's a serious lack in that very serious comedy with those like major theater actors. Yeah. You know, I agree. That it can be so funny and so deep. Yeah. I can't think of a show, a comedy show now that that goes like that. there. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So there's adopt. the okay. car horn. She did not adopt, did she? she did she, she adopt? Did she adopt two children? Yeah, she and Jean Sachs adopted two boys. Oh, yes. I yeah. love people who adopt. I know. It's my favorite thing. Yeah, she's Matthew and Daniel Sachs, 1961-1964. And she's a huge PETA person. Too. Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh, those commercials are fun. Hi, I'm B. Arthur with a message for women who take Premarin. Don't. It's made of horse urine. I'm not kidding. Please call Peter for free information on effective animal-friendly brands. Oh, yeah. Some she of those PETA commercials? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I wish she'd had a talk with someone about the lighting in those commercials. Weird, but right? Very She's like weird. She's got a barn and the, it's really bright and out. Her hair <laughs> is in the sunlight, but her face is in the shade. It's like a Joan, Joan Crawford, like Venetian <laughs> blind shot. <laughs> <laughs> like, they, it's very particular. The 80s, they never really knew how to light it. Then. No. And this is what I was talking to Nick about, is that she didn't give a fuck about fame no i i i'm so inspired by that i am too like she's all about the craft she's about the work but in the end of the day she just does not want anything mm, else totally and that's just again something you don't really ever see Mm-mm. yeah i like i was listening to your barbara streisand episode and so i was thinking in my head about the two of them the and I, the only thing they have in common is they both removed a vowel from their names like Arthur, you, you know, her husband's Arthur had a U in it, and she decided she was just going to take that out. That's the only Barbara-ish thing mm. that I have ever known B to do. I think part of what is mesmerizing about her is she doesn't need us. She can take us or leave us. Mm. And 
that is part of the source of her power. She doesn't have that same neediness that like Judy has or Barbara has. Or that, Beth has. Yeah, yeah, or that then that brittleness that comes with that because we could betray her, you know. She's just kind of an island under herself and and it makes her really different. That's also something I imagine that that's something that me that I as a gay person have always loved about her. She she has the strength that I longed for or that mm. I do continue to long for, that self-assuredness that I think is really hard for people in our community to get because we spend or at least we used to or we continue to like we, there's a lot of time hiding, there's a lot of there's a lot of fear involved, there's a lot of shame involved, and she was just so in the center of herself. And it was some it was aspirational. It makes me think about self-care. And I think like we really lack that now because we're, we our lives are fully on display, mm-hmm. and as a cre- as creatives, and you know doing this podcast, you kind of have to be constantly present and presenting. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like she kind of she kind of got it right. You know, she was kind of like, I've, I've done my work. Like she has that thing where she was like, after I did Golden Girls, I just I didn't want to ever do another show again. You know, it took her a long time to get to another project, which was her one-woman show, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. She was just like, I don't need... I, like you said, I don't need it. Don't, yeah. I've done it. I don't, yeah. I don't have to have that fulfillment. Like, I'm enough. I'm full enough. I am enough. I mean, yeah. Yeah, me and my dogs and my bare feet. Oh my gosh, her dogs are so big. What B. Kind of Arthur dogs? loved big dogs. Really? What yeah, else? and I cannot lie. She had two Dobermans. <laughs> you should also you should watch her walk around her pool with the, with these big old big old <laughs> bee and her big old Dobermans. Intimate, is that an in intimate portrait? Yeah. Sure is. yeah. Um, for everyone who doesn't know, I'm such like an explainer face today. Intimate Portrait was a series that VH1 used to have about divas back in the '90s, and it was so fucking good. And we wish it's it would got a great back. theme song too. What's the theme? It's song? just a lot of sort of miasmic like. Chords and then her story. <laughs> I'm like, it's pronounced her story. Lifetime. <laughs> Come on, get it right. Get with the program. Oh, it's Lifetime. It's not VH1. Why no, it's Lifetime. Lifetime. Um, so, yeah, speaking of, she then developed this one woman show that took her years to develop and that she finally brought to Broadway in 2002. Mm-hmm. Did she do it anywhere before Broadway? Yes, yeah, she toured. In fact, I saw it. In Nyack at the Helen Hayes Theater, back oh. when it was unclear whether it would come to Broadway, I didn't want to miss my one chance while it was in Nyack. What? How was it? What was that like when you went? Tell us everything. <sighs> well, um, did you scream? I wrote you a note. <laughs> God, it's like you know me. <laughs> uh, uh, I'll be honest. I was disappointed by her one woman show. Oh, yeah, I that I, would for I, me be a do let us down. Uh, that would be a flop for me. Okay, let's go. Let's go. Yeah. I think it is a great, terrible sort of accident of the cosmos that she literally was doing that show from February to April 2002 while Elaine Stritch was doing her show. Was doing her show. Because that there's one woman there who wants to be seen completely, Mm -hmm. warts and all. Yes. And one woman who really is not comfortable with that. Right. The rawness wasn't. No, that's was just not who she is, you right, know. Yeah. And it suffered by comparison because mm-hmm. it, it, when you really and it's the danger of meeting your idols, you know, they so rarely live up to your expectations. It's that feeling of being in someone's company and feeling like, yeah, you're still not, you're still not being you. Is what I came for. You're still not doing the thing I came for, which is not to hear you do fifty percent. 
right. the song, not like her level of stamina, the song, 50%. Uh, it's just like, what is under there? I want to know what's really under there, and I, I'm afraid I didn't think she really went there. It's awful for me to say because no, I love I, her. No, yeah, I, I think I've said this. I had the same thing when I first saw Bet mm. in her Kiss My Brass. Like mm. I had done all the reviews, and I, I memorized the set list. And I just remember, and I was so nervous, mm-hmm. and I remember being like, she had kind of leaned a little bit more into the cheesy mm-hmm. cheesy side of it. She's she literally does a um, duet with Mr. Rogers uh, um, on screen. You know, and it was just... And Nick and I loved the raw bet so much and the kind of foul... Bathhouse Betty. Yeah, the Bathhouse Betty kind of thing of it. And, and it. and it wasn't there for me. And I was like white-knuckling, just wanting her to kind of do that thing. And it was that meeting your idols kind of thing. Isn't that like, interesting? I couldn't, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't relax. I, feel, I couldn't just let her be her. Right. I feel guilty bringing that, you know, to... That expectation, it feels almost cruel, but you can't, you have to acknowledge that it's there and it's part of seeing something like that. Was there one song that was just like a, a highlight of the show? No, not a song. There was a story that I loved. Which one? The uh, Silver Gravy Ladle. Yes, I love that. You remember story. that one? Yes. Yeah. Do you want me to do it real fast? Yeah. Is it on the CD? It's on the CD, yeah. Uh, I'll put it in. Yeah, I'll put it in. It's so fantastic. It. It's so yeah. Good. Yeah, I think it's called A Mother's Intuition. Yes. Uh, and um, she had Charles Pierce read it at her funeral, I believe, or memorial. She didn't have a funeral. Uh, John invited his mother for dinner. And when she arrived, she couldn't help but notice how handsome John's roommate was. I mean, she'd long been questioning John's sexuality, and over the course of the evening, watching the two men interact, she began to wonder if there wasn't a little something more between John and his roommate than met the eye. And John, reading his mother's thoughts, volunteered, Look, Mom, I know what you're thinking, but I assure you, Michael and I are just roommates. Well, about a week later, uh, Michael went to John and said, You know, ever since your mother was here for dinner, I've been unable to find that beautiful silver gravy ladle. You don't suppose she took it, do you? John said, Well, I doubt it, but... uh, I'll write and ask her, you know, just to be sure. So he sat down and he wrote, uh, Dear Mom, I'm not saying you did take a gravy ladle from my house, and I'm not saying you did not take a gravy ladle, but the fact remains one has been missing ever since you were here for dinner. Love, John. And a few days later, he received a letter from his mother which read, Dear Son, I'm not saying you do sleep with Michael. And I'm not saying you do not sleep with Michael. But the fact remains, if he'd been sleeping in his own bed, he would have found the gravy ladle by now. Love, Mom. So why are you... Why do you... Why are... People eat that much gravy, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Gravy ladle. Hot take alert. Here I come, baby. Bops and flops. You you were saying, Mame is your flop. We oh, just play Bobs and Flops. Bobs and Flops is an iconic game we don't always play all the time. But we um, love it. But we love playing it. So let's do some Bobs and Flops. All right. So let's go let's go to town on this. I we have to I'm sorry, we cannot skip for flops the Star Wars Christmas special. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> Where she's in the cantina. Oh. She did a Star Wars Christmas special. Yeah, oh it's, my god. It's infamous, sweetie. It's infamous. What happened? She's got this long fall, like a long gray fall, you know. 
and she's with all these aliens in the cantina. You've never seen so much latex. Well, I, actually, I haven't been to your bedroom, but she sings this awful song with all these two-syllable rhymes, blank, friend. Have a beer, friend. It's been a long year. Just one more round, friend. Then a homeward bound, friend. Don't forget me in your dreams. Just one more song, friend. And then so long, friend. The nights get shorter, it seems. Just one more rhyme, friend. Yes, it's a crime, friend. But you know time, friend. Time can fly. So it's good night, friend. Is the laziest writing, first of all, and that's one of the ways that you know that when you love B, you you also really love the writing for B, because when that's not there, like when they get her voice, it's extremely disorienting. Yeah, yeah. but it's campy as fucking hell. Oh yeah, and you know, I mean, oh yeah, yeah. It kind of I think is a is a cult classic, honestly. It is for so. sure. So that's a flop. Um, I have a bop. Okay. I'm trying to say what my bo- oh my bop is the roast of Pamela Anderson. Yeah, that's shit. Yeah, 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 it's nasty. It's funny. <laughs> um, I have a bop. Um, her on Malcolm in the Middle. It's really touching. She plays a nanny. Mm-hmm. She plays a nanny in, in one episode, and she kind of with the little kid, and and it's it's a, it's really it's a sweet side of B, playful side that she didn't do many guest stars, but she did that. And she garnered her 11th Emmy nomination for it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. It was like 2001, I think. I feel gross for just using the word garner. Yeah. Oh, no, don't. It was I'm really... just going to say that again and say she got her 11th Emmy nomination for that. I like garnered. We're just three old queens, <laughs> aren't we? like your cousin, Bernice. <laughs> Bernice. Bernice. How many times do I have to do it? Anyway, we're going to give you your full... Uh, oh, your, your other flop was... Oh, uh, yeah, the movie of Mame is uh, definitely a flop. But, you know, I just kind of want to add a corollary to that. I have a, I think, a problem with B without a studio audience. She doesn't really work the same for me. Uh, Like the intensity? It's just not what we're watching for. Like the fun of B is how long can she hold that until it's ripe? And then she pricks that balloon. The whole thing that is fun about watching her is the music between her and the audience and how she keeps it going. And when that's not there, like when you watch Mame, there is something sort of unmoored about it, to me, anyway. So that's... Uh, well, that's a segue. Um, my other big bop is she, when she died, she left 300 k to the Alifornia Center for LGBTQ plus AI everything homeless kids. I know. And I think that was a kind of a... I don't think they were expecting that. They didn't... No, it right? was uh, out of the blue and then suffered a lot of damage in Hurricane Sandy, but they rebuilt it. They rebuilt it. It's called the B. Arthur Home. Yeah. And so if you are, like, fucking looking for a place to donate this... Whatever season this episode comes out, I thought you were going to say if you're looking for a bed, I was like, oh, honey. Or talk to the queer youth that are listening to For the Girls podcast right now. No, if you you may not have a home, if you are, but you have a phone, you're listening to this podcast. You are bougie podcast. Have homes. This is a free podcast. It's free. Um, If you are a bougie, get your basic needs met. If you are a bougie old gay, why don't you donate to the Alifornia Center for LGBT Homeless Youth this year? Because that will be a good use of your money. So now tell us, what, 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 what draws the gays to Miss B. Arthur? 
I, you know, I'm always reluctant to speak for the clan. You yeah. know, I can, I feel like I can only speak for myself. And I, she sort of belongs to the same world as Carol Channing in a lot of ways, which is that what makes her a freak is very clear, right? Like her height, her voice. There are so many things about her that make her so odd. And the film industry is not kind to those actors. And that's how... Is it because they don't know what to do with them? It's, America is not ready for people like that as far as Hollywood is concerned, you know, in a film. And it's so interesting to me that they, both Carol Channing and B. Arthur sort of had, mid, you know, middling or non-existent right. uh, film careers. Um, and I think that that's kind of what it's about. It's not only not ashamed of the thing that makes you a freak, it's hitching your wagon to the thing that makes you special that makes you weird that makes you different from everyone and the message it sends that if you embrace that a hundred percent look at the possibilities Mm. i i love that and i think that there are some (laughs) and i think um, you're full of shit i i I, I love that (laughs) but you're wrong and um, (laughs) let me tell you why (laughs) but i think uh there i think from i i'll speak for the fucking clan um no but I, i think that there is something um you know, obviously masculine about about her. Yeah. And she leaned into that. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was like, oh, you you can... There isn't just one way to be a man or a woman. Like, mm-hmm. there's mm-hmm. This, this strong person who has fully embraced that kind of strength and authority. And she stands proud with her shoulders, you know, wide. And, and that just was something that was just so captivating to me mm-hmm. and so unique. And also, I think with the Carol Channing thing, there's like, oh, man, drag queens are going to play you both till the end of time <laughs> you know um there's that kind of quality to it and that i, I just always i found i found that just so uh, wonderful i can't believe no one's ever done b arthur on the snatch game yeah right i think she's deceptively hard i think she's hard on her own she's so dependent on what's going or going on reacting. around her the reacting is what gets the laugh. without the setup without the balloon right. to deflate right it's a hard color to play Right. right, it's hard to be a, it's hard to be a straight uh, woman to no one. Yeah, because she is the straight woman to all three of those, you know, or the foil. Yeah, if you foil. have no one to yeah. foil, mm-hmm. exactly. You know? Yeah. Do you have a favorite like bop of like um, a song or a performance of hers that most people that aren't Maud or Golden Girls that most people don't know or haven't? Yeah, seen? actually, come to think of it, oh, I got a yeah. She hosted Saturday Night Live. In 1979, I think it's the fifth episode of season five of Saturday Night Live she hosted. And first of all, she opens with a straight-up ballad. There's no joke behind it. She just sings a song at the piano. And the pianist is Paul Schaefer. And it's just a great number. I remember watching it and just thinking, I love when TV had the confidence to say, you know what, we're just going to have B. Arthur sing. We don't care if it's funny. We don't care if people change the channel. But it's also to open the show. Just to That's open the show. And it's so relaxing. What's and the song? I can't remember, but it's a gorgeous performance. Let me love you. Let me say that I do. If you lend me your ear, I'll make it clear the way that I do. Let me whisper it. Let me sigh it Let me sing it, my dear 
So fabulous, but you know we have one more question for you. Uh-oh, what? So you're um, in your kitchen, and you're on a uh, one of those phones that has a really long cord. I have one of those in my kitchen. You do? Okay, yeah. well, there you are. See, I knew that. Um, <laughs> it's olive green and has a rotary. <laughs> no yeah. joke. Yeah. Well, I was looking for diamonds once, and so I, would, I got into your house to try to find <laughs> some, because I'm, dim- I'm, I'm just specifically a diamond thief. All right. So, uh, okay, so yeah, so you're, so you're on that phone, and that cord goes all the way to Florida uh-huh. to be Arthur's phone. Okay. And you get to leave her a message. What are you going to tell her? Why is she in Florida? Because um, that's heaven. That's, that's actually heaven. where heaven's oh. heaven. That's for old people heaven. Okay, and so this message is like, if she were in heaven and could hear it, what would I want to say? She voicemail, yeah. Hi, B. It's David. I'm sorry. I know it's been 20 years since you wrote me back. Um, I just want you to know that your influence on me has proven durable. It's, it wasn't just a flash in a pan. And... Like you said to me, you know you've made a lot of people laugh, but I think you underestimate the degree to which you also gave people a lot of musical pleasure. And I think that that was more important to you than you let on. That's it. Beautiful. So specific. Just like B. Mm -hmm. And economical, just like B. And just like Lottie Lenya. And Lottie Lenya. Oh. David, thank you for coming. Thank you, David. Thank you so much for having me. You're so uh, wonderful. And the arts are so wonderful. Um, Thanks, everyone, for listening. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. At Girls for the Podcast. Uh, uh, Like, subscribe. (laughs) That drives you so crazy. makes me so mad. Because you keep your dyslexia away from my (laughs) self-promotion. From my career. Your dyslexia is ruining my career. I've been meaning to talk to you about how your dyslexia is ruining our podcasting career. Um, We love you, Battle Angels, and we really love you, B. Arthur. Yeah. Thank you, baby. Keep golden. Bye, babies. Bye. The man in the moon is a lady. A lady with lipstick and a curse. The cow that jumped over cried, jumping Jehovah. I think it's just one of the girls. She winks at the stars from her bed of green cheese. That isn't a nightgown, it's a Saturn chemise Oh, her friends are the stars
stars and the planets She sends the Big Dipper a kiss So don't ever offend her Remember her gentleness 